Remembering the great DJs of radio, it's Radio Greats with the live Luke. Today's Radio Great has spent the best part of 40 years in the radio business from stations including Radio City, March of Sound, Real Radio and Greatest Hits Radio. He is known as someone of, how I could describe him, as a launch presenter and has also had experience in management and I'm sure we will get to know a little more about him in this edition. But before we do all that, Terry Underhill, how do we find you today? I'm good, thank you, Luke. All good here. Well, that's great to hear. And um, Terry, I have to start by asking, 40 years you have worked in stations up and down the country, presenting breakfast shows, managing radios, and also being part of the launch team. But going back to the beginning, how was it you developed the bug for radio? Okay, well, first of all, it sounds scary when somebody says 40 years because it seems like 40 minutes. It seems like just yesterday and I've still got the same sense of energy and passion uh, that I had when I first started. Uh, but like most people, really, I, I, I remember walking to school and seeing that there was this Radio City Roadshow about to happen in my, my local village the following day. So I just had to be there. I didn't know what Radio City was. I didn't know what radio was particularly, but I had to be there and uh, made sure the following day I was. Uh, and I saw a guy uh, who's no longer with us, Chris Jones, who was doing what we now know to be live links from this outside broadcast from the launch of a, of a show development, show house development, uh, doing these links. And I probably made a bit of a nuisance of myself because I was asking every question you can imagine. You know, what is he doing? He eventually put me on air. Um, and, and that was where the very first second that I wanted to work in radio, I was 15, that's when it first began. But uh, in the coming months and years, uh, as a listener to Radio City, I just knew that that was the career I wanted. And I started, uh, in those days, there was no email. I started writing letters to the, the head of programmes, a guy called Wally Scott, who was the senior producer there. And he was brilliant. And he'd send me advice and, and, and uh, hints on what maybe I should do. But the big moment was when the then breakfast presenter, Norman Thomas, uh, who again is no longer with us, he, he did a, a feature where they were looking for people who wanted their dreams to come true. And not surprisingly, my dream was to work in radio. So I wrote the letter to Norman and, uh, and lo and behold, I get a phone call to say, look, we're going to give you one hour on the overnight show. We're going to take clips and play them out on the breakfast show at peak time and, uh, and see how you get on. And, and that was it. That was the very first moment. And from there, I built a relationship up with the team at Radio City in the old building at 8 to 10 Stanley Street, not, not in the tower. Um, I got to know a lot of them very well. Billy Butler was the big star presenter. He still is a very, very famous and well-known broadcaster on Merseyside. Um, and I became a runner for that show. So Billy was the presenter, Wally was the producer, and I was the runner on that show for a while, but secretly just aching to be a presenter. And the first proper on-air opportunity came when Wally produced a show called All Right Ace, which was a, a Liverpool phrase to ask, basically means how are you doing? Um, and he launched this show presented by Keith Chegwin. And I was one of the roving out and about contributors to this show that went out every Friday night at six for young people. And that was the very first show I ever got. And that first show, can you, what was um, the first link like that you did? <laughs> Well, it's interesting because um, I remember that the presenter before me was a guy called Paul Jordan, who went on to work at Radio 1. And I know he's been a guest for you, uh, Luke. Uh, and Paul was on till 2 a.m. and I was doing 2 till 6. Now, this isn't the bit I did to win the Dreams Come True thing. This was my first proper radio show doing the overnight show. And I was literally shaking with nerves. 
I mean, Paul said to me, don't worry, he said, because I was physically sick before his first link. So it wasn't that bad. But I remember shaking. We had old cart machines and you had to press the cart machine with your jingle uh, to come out of the top of the hour and do a link uh, into the first song. And I remember literally shaking. I have no recording of it. I don't particularly want to hear it. And I'm sure it wasn't very good. Um, but it was that first moment. And it's like any broadcaster will tell you, when you've done that first link or second link, um, you know, it does get easier. And and even in my career, when I hadn't been on air for many, many years and then went back on air, it's always that first link that you're nervous about because you question whether you can still do it. You shouldn't, but you worry about making mistakes and people will, will, will think ill of you or that you, you can't do it anymore. But actually, when you've done your first link and you feel completely relaxed, it's actually for broadcasters who've been doing it for, for a long time, it's quite a natural thing to do. And how long were you with Radio City for? So I was, I tell this story, you know, particularly to young people who come to want to work in radio. I spent seven years at Radio City before I actually got the overnight show. And in that period, I wasn't an employee. I was basically a gopher. I was running around, doing everything that, you know, at the road shows, helping out with promotions, doing the events, helping Billy and Wally, all, if you like, an apprenticeship. All of that time was spent watching these great legendary broadcasters, listening to how they worked, seeing how they knew how to passionately talk about the songs and the artists that they were playing. And so that period of time was, was, it was a great period well spent. And so from, from, um, until 1983, I was still, um, you know, at Radio City from 17. <laughs> You mentioned 1983 and uh, you move away from City and begin, um, shall we say, the love affair with Welsh Radio and join the launch team of Marcher Sound in Wrexham. So, first of all, what was leaving City a difficult decision? And also, what was it like to be part of the launch team in Marcher? Well, Radio City was such a huge station and I was only ever, you know, a cover presenter. I didn't think I was ever going to move forward because there was a fantastic, everybody wanted to work at Radio City. It was one of the most successful commercial radio stations in the, in the whole of the United Kingdom. And it was just this massive radio station. And I knew that they were getting people from London and from the Midlands and from the Northeast and the Northwest everywhere wanted to work at Radio City. And my experience was very limited. So I knew that I was never going to progress at that time at Radio City. So I, of course, the minute I heard a radio station was opening for my sort of more local town, which I, I, I grew up just outside Chester, and March, you say, a Welsh station. Actually, it was, a, it was a, a cross-border station. It was for Wrexham and Chester, which is England and Wales. So whilst at the time I wouldn't have classed myself as Welsh, although I was born in Wales, I, I wouldn't have classed myself as Welsh. Um, but it was a station that was 10 minutes up the road from where I lived. And as far as I was concerned, I had to get a job there. You know, I just, I, there was, it was not an option. And former, the former head of news at Radio City, a guy called Ivor Godfrey Davis, became the program controller. Um, and it hadn't launched. It was a year away from launch. And um, so I sent together with lots of other people, I sent my tape in. 
and I was offered the weekend breakfast show. And I did Saturday and th- rather interestingly, the station was Marcher Sound and this was called Saturday and Sunday Sound. And I was the breakfast presenter. So I was really excited about that. This is fantastic. And I, and I saw it as start at the weekends and work your way up. What I didn't know was that within about three months, the breakfast presenter that they'd hired um, had been offered a job at Rock FM uh, in Lancashire and was going to leave. So um, they they called me in and said, we want you to take over the breakfast show. Uh, And I said, when from? And they said, from Monday. And so I became the breakfast presenter and it was completely unexpected. Um, I was excited. I knew then that the breakfast slot was the big slot and that you'd normally spend a long time working towards it. I don't think I was particularly that good, but I think I was just available. Uh, so, So I ended up getting that show. You say getting the breakfast show and starting on the Monday. Um, were, were you at all nervous for the first day? I mean, because breakfast is, especially for a young, a young a young person, it's a huge responsibility. Yeah, and I think in those days even more so because there was no breakfast TV, there was no Apple Music, there was no Spotify, there was no podcast, there was no alternative. There was no breakfast TV, as I said. So basically, if you wanted some form of entertainment in the morning, then it was only radio and it was a unique time. And there was a set, I mean, I remember we had over 50% reach on Marcher at that time. So wherever I went in that very small catchment area, one in two people was likely to have listened to the show. So you could become a very, and I hate to say this, you know, it's it's the old twinkle twinkle nonsense, but you could become a very big name in a very small pond very quickly. Um, and, I, and I quite like that. You know, I did like that. But I also was, was conscious that if I went five miles outside the TSA, nobody would have a clue who I was. Uh, but the nerves were definitely there because you knew the responsibility of doing a breakfast show. That is such a tremendous song. You know, when I go back, when I go back over to the UK, uh, there is one thing that I will remember. There is one thing that will always remind me of KC 101, and it is that song, the Miami Sound Machine. It's called Anything For You. It's great. It's Gloria Estefan, too. Uh, If you're wondering what it's all about, KC 101, I'm Terry Underhill with you here from the UK, and we're doing all sorts of things here on the program this morning. I call it the breakfast show. You call it the morning show, Doctor. Uh, we call it uh, Connecticut's Connecticut. What, what the hell do we call it? Connecticut's Connecticut's favorite morning. Connecticut's favorite morning show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Breakfast. Um, the breakfast show. Um, yeah. Here, uh, we're Americans. We, uh, we're... Remember the first record you played? No, <laughs> I wouldn't have a clue. I can remember. I can remember one of the first songs that I played when I did that hour on Radio City as a as a sort of make your dreams come true thing, and it's a song I don't think you could ever play now. If you ever hear the lyrics, you'll know why. But it was a song by ABBA called "Does Your Mother Know," uh, and there was also a Barry White song I played. But that's the only thing. But I can't in, in terms of that first show on uh, Marcher. Now I wouldn't have a clue. Well, this, this of course, was your first stint with Marcher. And uh, as you said, it was uh, North Wales and Chester. But um, what was it like, though, to be a voice for the, um, put, putting aside Chester for the moment, but for the North Wales audience? Because this was their first station, really, in the north, in effectively the north of the, uh, the country. Yeah, it's interesting, Luke, because. Um, we had nothing to to judge ourselves by, so there wasn't much out there. So really, I, I I genuinely think as long as 
you had a bit of personality. As long as you could sound bright and cheerful first thing in the morning, as long as your voice sounded reasonably interesting, um, I think you would be able to do it. And I think, um, I suppose what I'm saying is I don't think you had to be amazing to succeed. Um, now, I'm not trying to put myself down and say that I wasn't any good because we did amazingly in terms of audience and we had great, I've, I've always been lucky with Ray Jar. Um, so it was, it was fine. But I, but I don't think I sat down thinking, you know, I'm, I'm about to sort of be the voice for North Wales. We did have BBC Radio Wales, which still exists to this day, but as, as then and now, you know, BBC, and I'm, I'm quite, I tell this to anybody who listen, you know, BBC Radio Wales should be renamed BBC Radio South Wales because they don't give a monkeys about North Wales. They never have. They never did. In the intervening period, they never have. So really, you know, we had it free to ourselves. It's Casey 101, and we've got the sport. The coach is with us. Thank you, uh, Terry. This uh, sports report, this Casey 101 sports report, brought to you by Colony Mitsubishi, Route 5, Wallingford, where their 1988 truck spectacular is now in progress. In Milwaukee, the Red Sox beat the Brewers 5-1 to last night. Bruce Hurst, now 3-0, pitched a six-hitter. The uh, Red Sox have won six straight. They're playing. Uh, they're getting good pitching and timely hitting. Marty Barrett, two RBIs each. In Edmonton, the Oilers sweep the Flames 6-4. to uh, Last night, Gretzky a goal and Messier a goal. They go on and play the winner of the Detroit St. Louis series at the arena last night in St. Louis. The Red Wings won three to one, so they up three games to one now. Dave Winfield, one of our ball players, uh, Terry from the New York Yankees, who has been in the news a lot here. For the follow the Yankees, do you? No, I don't. Is he a big star? He's a big. He's a big, right. big, bigger than big, bigger, bigger than, than life. Big. Yes. He now says that uh, maybe at the end of the season that his agent said maybe he would go to Toronto and play with the Blue Jays if Steinbrenner bought his contract. He likes the Seagulls. Up. I have to ask as well, what were the road shows like from Archer? Oh, they were funny because uh, we had this big green, I think it was like a porter cabin on wheels. Um, but again, because it was such a new thing to have a radio station, you could attract quite a large number of people. It often became the same people, you know, that you'd see with their carrier bags standing at the very front and, and, and they became big sort of super fans of the station. But, you know, any idea that, that we were following in the footsteps of the then recently launched Radio One road shows with 25,000 people and Shaking Stevens on stage, it was nothing like that. They were more local market type things. But, um, but again, great to be able to meet the listeners and more importantly for them to meet you. So five years with the first stint with Marcher and then you move over to Stoke to begin a seven-year stint with Signal and going sort of starting off with that, what, what was it like to leave North Wales and Chester and move down to Stoke? Well, I was really lucky because I had bumped into the then programme director of, of Signal, a guy called John Evington, um, and his then wife, Sally, and we became friends and we met them actually um, whilst on holiday. But he'd heard my show. He was the launch breakfast presenter on Signal. Uh, but he was getting um, to the point where he needed to come off air to focus on the, the programming job. Um, I was already head of programs or head of presentation, I think, at, at Marcher at the time. I'd moved from being just the breakfast presenter to being head of presentation as well. And I met John and he said, look, you know, would you come and take on a similar role at Signal? And I, I was quite scared because I thought, well, look, I'm a big fish. I'm a, I'm a, a big star here, you know, <laughs> in my own world. Why would I want to go to Stoke-on-Trent? 
Anyway, so come and see me. So come and look at the radio. I did like the sound of Signal. I liked its processing. I liked its jingles. I liked its production values. And it was, seemed like a more energetic station. I, I felt March was a bit more old-fashioned. If you listen, just listen to the jingles, the old David Arnold full orchestra jingles versus the jam jingles that Signal had. Everything about it I liked. I just didn't want to work and live in Stoke. No offence to Stoke. Um, anyway, I, I agreed to go and see him and I drove down. And as I'm getting closer and closer to Stoke, and it's changed now, it's a completely different place to what it was like um, in this sort of late 80s. Um, but as I'm getting closer, I'm becoming more and more determined I'm not going to work here because I just did not want to be there because, you know, my hometown was Chester. I didn't want to be in Stoke. I had a coffee with John. We had a chat. I explained to him that I don't really think I want to work in this area. Now, the only good thing about that was it just put the price up because as I said no, um, then the offer obviously got better. So eventually, you know, it, it's the old catch-22. I couldn't really say no. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'll give it a go. And I was there actually from 87 to 95 uh, I was the second ever breakfast presenter on Signal. I'm very proud of that. We continue to have fantastic audiences and and, and really successful uh, listenership there. I lived um, in Cheshire actually, so it was about half an hour away from Stoke, which is which was no problem. Um, and and I had a very very happy time, and we did some incredible things at Signal. That I'm I'm extremely proud of. Do you want to go first, or should we go first? You, um, you go first. I'll go first. Give him his present. Okay, let me hand this to you. It's a bit of a. No, no, no. I think we should have one from him. It's our show. Okay, he's come to present. see us. Give us your present then. Is this for me? All right, then. No, no. Um, you can have that one. Okay. Hang on. Yeah, you, you, you got. Have, yeah, you have that right. one. Am you I only mine first? You go first. Yeah. Okay. Have a look what we've got here. This is very. I, I just love Christmas time. Yeah. I thought yesterday I'd open all my presents, and I realised that isn't the case. Look at this. <laughs> and there's a record he plays on his late night show, yeah. which I adore by Bonnie Waite, and he's bought me the CD, The Look of the Draw. Oh, wow. I, hey. That's the most lovely thing. Is that the CD there? That's the CD there. Thank Look at you. That. He's so sweet. I can't make you love me. I can't make you love me, which is my favourite um, track. I sit there. That's with the CD, isn't it? <laughs> I, I have to say, ask about Signal, because the uh, one... The interview I did with Darren Proctor uh, a couple of months ago, he talked about getting that gig at Signal, which was, I think he said he'd won a DJ competition and it was a look around Signal. And then uh, he, I, I can't remember who said the presenter was, but he could, he encouraged him to make tapes. And then wasn't it, uh, he gave a tape to you to listen to and then you offered him a show. Yeah, it sounds it sounds familiar. I mean, Darren's brilliant and I, I love Darren to bits. He was, he's a really good lad and... Um, uh, and, and whether I can take the credit for, for Darren's long and, and fantastic career, I don't know. But I certainly do recall, you know, this this young, excitable, very fresh faced, uh, ambitious young guy coming in and, and, and working with us. And it was fantastic to work alongside him for, for quite a period of time. Uh, a really good lad. I have to ask, what what was your highlight with Signal? Um, I think there's just there's just too too many to to say. I mean, obviously, being the second breakfast presenter on Signal was great. When I got too tired for that, because I was also had a presentation, I moved to mid mornings. Loved that. I did the afternoon show for a while. Um, so I, I loved all the shows. I think there were some monumental things. I mean, um, 
people talk about this morning on the telly and how they do all these different features. You've got to remember that all those things that they do, that Phil and Holly do on TV, were all born out of local commercial radio. So we were doing cooking in the kitchen and we were doing the vet and the doctor and the buy and sell stuff, um, you know, before it was even a thing on TV. And, and I remember somebody having the idea of getting a kitchen in the in the radio station and doing the celebrity cooking. And we'd have all sorts of people. I remember Leo Sayer launching the kitchen. He at the time was like a top 10 recording artist and he was cooking spaghetti in the kitchen. And But then you'd talk about the big stuff. You know, it was at Signal that I flew to Los Angeles to do my first interview with Barry Manilow. It's the time that I did the interview with Elton John. It's when I was doing, you know, some really big um very high profiles um, things whilst at Signal. Can, I, can okay. I just say, Terry, this is a compact disc. Yes, it is. So Pick I that up. Thank you. Right, pretend that. you're just about to load that into the CD player. Most people turn the CD over and look for fingerprints, but yeah. Terry, what does he do? <laughs> he looks at his hair. <laughs> and grooms it. He does. He does really. Ladies and gentlemen, he really does that. Terry Underhill really does use the back of CDs just to, as a mirror. He doesn't, you don't bother about fingerprints. You don't no, care don't. if the, skied, uh, the CD jumps. Or the skied. Just, just as long exactly. as you can see your face. That's all that matters. Well, look, I think it's time that we got you back and gave you some joyous presents. Because yeah. first of all, I should point out, because people listening might not know that you are not known for your generous nature. You're not known for the ability to give. I resent that comment. Ladies and gentlemen, he drives around in a big car, uh, which costs a lot of money, but he doesn't earn a lot of money. Hang on, hang on. He saved up for the Correct. past 20 years. Correct. Who runs over the garage every time you clip your enough, fingers? Enough of this. Give him his parcel. Okay. It's a big one, actually. It's huge. Just get hold of that. It's, it's enormous. It's wrapped well. It's absolutely enormous. Oh yes, watch the punches fly. Well, 1995 comes along and you return back to Marcher this time. Um, so what w- w- was the reason for leaving Signal to go back to Marcher? Well, the Marcher I left was a radio station um, on FM and AM. Um, I think it was still on the same, on both frequencies at that time. Can't remember actually whether we'd already split Marcher Gold and um, MFM or Marcher on. I can't remember, but either way, I'd left. But in the meantime, the owner of that station had acquired various other licenses and it was a little mini group of five. There was one in uh, Birkenhead. There was one for the Wirral and, and that area. There was one in the main station on FM and AM. There was one in Colwyn Bay in North Wales and there was one in Bangor for Mid Wales. Um, So it was a mini group of five. Um, I I had just had, um, how old was, my daughters were were sort of seven and five, I think, or four at the time. Um, We spent a lot of time coming back home anyway. Um, So A, it was a great opportunity to get back near our parents and grandparents and so on. Uh, But B, it was just a great opportunity to come in as a group program director to run these five stations. I liked the people that I had previously worked with. As the story goes, the offer was terrific and everything just felt right. And so I, I, I decided to, to make the move up because then again, I was head of programs at Signal, but John was the program director. So this was a promotion to a, a group program director for a small group of stations. And that was the main career decision, really. Music radio. And it was also a big time for North Wales because it was around this time they were actually expanding local radio with Coast 96.3, March of Gold, and then eventually the Welsh language station Champion 103. Yeah, I mean, that had happened and that was why I was encouraged to come back. And you you say the Welsh station champion, actually, that was one of those stations that was quite interesting because it was... 
what did they call it, Wanglish, which was the presenters would talk in a bit of Welsh and a bit of English. So every link was a bit of English and a bit of Welsh. So it was never a full-blown Welsh station. Um, and to this day, I think it's the only capital that doesn't speak in, entirely in English. I think, I think you're right. I think they only take the chart show in. What, but what was that like to oversee these stations? It was good. It was, it was, it was quite empowering because we could just, you know, I often say, you know, we could have an, have an idea in the shower in the morning. It can be on air at lunchtime. It was a small team of dedicated, ambitious people who really wanted to um, to just do great local radio, and uh, and and everyone was on the same page. It was it was it was really good fun. It was a nice it was a nice period of time to to have a carefree existence. And in the um, in the two times you were with the Marcher Group, what was your main highlight? I think I think nothing can beat the the feeling of success when you have a great audience and uh, great radio results. Your figures come in and you're doing well. I remember once all stations had gone up quite significantly, which was terrific. Um, if you talk about again punching above your weight, it was okay for Signal. It was just off the M6, but people to come into Wrexham to do an interview was a big deal. But I had a very, very good and still do actually relationship with the record industry. So being able to little old Marcher um, group, being able to get the Spice Girls, for example, to come in or Cliff Richard to physically come in, all those things, I think, proved that we were we were definitely punching above our weight. Well, the millennium enters, and after five years with Marcher, it's purchased by a new radio group, but John Myers and John Simo were starting up a new local radio in South Wales. So tell me, what was that meeting like? Well, it was quite an easy meeting for me. In fact, it was a guy called Dave Lincoln, who I, I'd worked with at Radio City, went on to become the group managing director for Bauer, actually, when it was EMAP. But Dave and I had known one another from the Radio City days. He'd helped me a lot. He taught me how to drive a studio desk, for example. Um, and Dave knew John, uh, John Simons, actually. He didn't, he, I don't think he knew John. He did know John Myers, but he, but he particularly knew Simo. And he got a, a phone call, unbeknownst to me. And they said, look, we're looking for somebody to, um, to, to run um, a real radio in Wales. And uh, the, they had asked somebody else to be the breakfast presenter. That person had said yes, then said no. Um, so they were looking for a breakfast presenter and a programme director. And Dave Lincoln, unbeknownst to me and without hesitation, said, you need to talk to Terry Underhill um, because he would be absolutely dead right for that. What Dave didn't know was that I'd also been having a conversation with GWR, who just bought Marcher, and they had said, we definitely want you to stay. You know, we, we see your future here. So, uh, so I was in a position where I get this call from Dave. Look, I haven't given him your number, but do you want to speak to him? And I said, you know what? I will, because there's some uncertainty when a new owner comes in. And I didn't know whether it was going to be amazing or not. So I, and, I'm, and, and Steve Orchard and Dirk Anthony are great friends now and they're fantastic people. And I shouldn't have worried actually, but you do have a sense of, 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 sort of uncertainty. So I agreed that I would drive to meet um, Simo uh, at a hotel about an hour away from where I lived and he was travelling down the M6. So I met him at the Chimney House Hotel and uh, I pulled in and I just had a new company car <laughs> and my new company car was a Mercedes. So as we pull, as I pulled in and it was a beautiful summer's day, he's sitting outside on, on, the, on a, a bench and I opened the window 
Um, and I, I put my head out. I said, you must be Simo. And he said, you must be Terry. He said, but you can turn round. He said, because driving that car, we can't afford you. So I just laughed, you know, I thought, great. So anyway, I parked the car. From that, we met, we met and within 10 seconds of meeting, we got on. And my life has always been filled with, if you like somebody, you know what, it's all going to be okay. And of course, when I met John Myers sometime later and an equally f- fabulous, wonderful, amazing person, um, I knew it was all going to be all right. So it was quite an easy decision for me to to agree to to join them. And in fact, a week later, we met in the same car park in the same hotel and I signed the contracts on the back of the, uh, leaning on the back of the bonnet of my car. Just like that. And it's uh, October the 3rd, 2000, sees the launch of Real Radio across South Wales. And from stories Chris Moore and Dave Brooks have told me about the launch day, what was your memory of the launch day like? Scared to death. Um, John Myers had said to me, don't worry. He said, I'm going to do the first show on the first day. So he said, you know, you'll be the breakfast presenter, but I'm doing the first show. And that's fantastic. And, you know, John, John likes that and that was, and, and liked to, to, to do that. And it was exactly right that he did. Um, although he didn't, <laughs> because what happened was my original role on that day was to do links into the John Myers first breakfast show from a marquee where all the celebrities and all the, the VIPs were. Um, so I was poised with a roving mic to do these bits. Anyway, John played the first song, played the second song. And then somebody said, oh, John wants you in the studio. So I ran in the studio. He said, right. He said, you might as well take over. So actually, John only did the first and second link. And so I, <laughs> so I was thrown right into it. And, and what people forget is that for the first three or six months, it wasn't Terry and Sarah. Sarah Graham became the co-host. Uh, she only did the travel news. So it was very much my show. And then let's cross to Sarah for the travel. But it was after sort of three or six months that we decided, that why don't we just do the whole thing as a double header? Uh, and that's how that came about. But yeah, I was scared to death first day. Um, scared of getting it wrong, scared of failing. Um, and of course, history tells us that that station went on to be the, the most, the officially the most successful launch of a regional radio station in UK history. 60 seconds to go. South Wales, I'm Tom Jones, and good morning, Real Radio. You know, I'm really proud to introduce a great new radio station, and I'm delighted to be the first person to welcome you. I know you will enjoy the news and sport of Real Radio. This station is above all about real music, and they've chosen this track to kick it off. Good luck, everyone, and best wishes to Real Radio. Good morning, it's 8 a.m. on Tuesday, October the 3rd. And a star is born. It certainly was because um, other than presenting breakfast, you were also back in the management team. And what was that like to help grow a station like Real? 
Well, of course, I'd never not been part of management. I left Marcher as the group programme director um, anyway. I went down there as the programme director of a single station. We didn't know how many it was going to have. We knew there was ambition. Uh, and, of course, I went there as the breakfast presenter. Although I should say I wasn't originally going to do breakfast. I was only going to be the programme director. But as I said earlier on, somebody had decided they were not going to join um, after promising they would. So I think two weeks before launch, I was asked, would, will you do the breakfast show? And I said, yeah, OK, I'll do it. And it was only going to be short term. I was going to do the breakfast show for about three months, get them through to Christmas, and then we put somebody in in January. And the first radio results were due in February. But what, again, unbeknownst to me, what John and John had done is they'd commissioned an NOP survey along RAJAR guidelines. So it was exactly the same as RAJAR. But rather than wait till February, we were going to get it before Christmas. I had no idea about this. Um, and so they were going to um, they were going to look at these figures and see what they were going to do, basically. But they didn't want to tell me, A, to put pressure on and B, to sort of have me worried about that. Um, but, you know, th what happened was, this is just incredible. In my, it's the first time it's ever happened to me in my career, probably the last. But um, just before Christmas, I think it might have even been Christmas Eve, um, John came down and said, uh, you've got five minutes. I thought I was going to get the sack. I thought they were going to fire me. I thought they were not happy. Even though it felt great, I just thought that there's no way he's come down here uh, the day before Christmas, <laughs> you know, if it's not bad news. Uh, and I was completely wrong. Basically, he revealed to me that um, they'd done this survey and that it had exceeded their expectations twofold, that the, the, what they had promised advertisers, what they expected, it was twice as popular as that, that Rajar looked like it was going to be a record-breaking number. And they very much wanted me to stay on The Breakfast Show. And they very much wanted me to stay as programme director, to go away and have a great Christmas. And then there was this most incredible and incredibly generous um, uh, pay rise, which was, which was the biggest thing you could ever imagine. I drove home for Christmas. And when you hear the Chris Rear song, Driving Home for Christmas, that was the best moment I think I could ever imagine. And it didn't stop there because the GM Jig family expanded. And in 2003, uh, they launched a real station up in Yorkshire and uh, you moved up there. And this is where more success starts to begin. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great, really. At that station launched, I wasn't the launch programme director, actually. It was another guy um, who, who's a really nice guy. He's now an MP, actually, and he's a really nice guy. And they launched the station through no fault of anybody's. It, was, it wasn't quite as successful. I think it might have been a more competitive market, a more difficult area to broadcast to. Uh, but it didn't really do the same sort of business that we'd seen in Wales. So there was a little bit of disappointment. Um, and so, yeah, I was asked if I would go up there take on the same role, breakfast and programmer. Uh, and I accepted, you know, and I did that. Um, and as you say, you know, it was, it was great. We turned it, we turned it round into some really great numbers. In fact, that license hasn't uh, ever achieved the sorts of numbers that, um, that we got. And actually it's really interesting because it's, it's the team. Um, so Kyle Evans, that was my producer in South Wales, came up to, uh, to Yorkshire. James Rear had gone just a little bit ahead of me, actually, and he was already in Yorkshire. Um, I co-hosted with a girl called Debbie Lindley, who was amazing. She was the local TV weather personality. She was like doing the breakfast show every morning with Dawn French. It was brilliant and everything just felt right. The marketing was right. 
We brought up all the features such as Risk It for a Biscuit, The Real Radio Renegade, Work Your Way to the USA, Work Your Way Down Under. We just literally took over that market. And, uh, and, and you know, you've got to remember the biggest radio station outside of uh, London, outside of national stations, was the, was Capital Yorkshire at that time with Hursty doing The Breakfast Show. And whilst they retained that number one position, they had a bigger TSA as well, we absolutely gave everyone a run for their money and we did incredible. I think at one point we went, I think we took the station in reach from 12 to 15 percent in 18 months um, at a level it's never been at uh, since 30 seconds twenty seconds 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 and counting good morning yorkshire and good morning real radio this is paul mccartney here and i'd like to welcome you to a brand new radio station welcome to real radio good morning it's monday 25th of march 2002 it's eight o'clock and a star is born. Real himself has always sounded like a lot of fun. And I remember, I mean, for, as being a Cardiff boy, listening to the station uh, as part of my youth, I grew up listening to it from its launch day uh, right until it uh, closed in 2014. But um, I have to ask, from the two different stations you worked on Real in both South Wales and Yorkshire, what was your highlight with Real Radio? couple of things, really. This is quite easy. Um, so the launch of Real Radio in Wales, I had, by a massive coincidence, uh, met um, somebody who knew Tom Jones uh, in the months before. And I'd interviewed Tom. In fact, I'd had dinner with Tom uh, in the months before. And I just said to, to John and John, you know what? I think we need Tom Jones to be the launch of, of, of Real Radio Wales. And they said, right, well, there's your challenge. If you can pull that off, you know, I'll get you a bottle of champers or whatever. There was something, I forget, a bit of fun. Um, so I was determined to do it, not for the champers, but because I knew it would be perfect. So one highlight would be um, for Wales would be, you know, getting the train down to London, going in, having a coffee. In fact, I also produced a Christmas special with Tom about a year after this, but before we launched writing the script. Hello, this is Tom Jones. Hello, South Wales. And I wrote the script and I went down and I had a cup of tea with Tom, recorded that and uh, and felt so fantastic that, right, we've got that in the can. We now have the ability to say real radio in South Wales will be launched by the legend Sir Tom Jones. So that was a real highlight. And then as if that wasn't good enough, doing the same thing for Yorkshire, even though I was still at Wales, doing the same thing for Yorkshire, but actually managing to do it with um, Paul McCartney and um, managing through friends to get a contact for Paul's manager. And then it's funny, I rang, I rang the number I was given um, to set it all up. Um, and uh, the phone answered and I thought it was the manager. And I said, hi, this is Terry Underhill. I'm just trying to set up this interview with Paul McCartney. It, can we talk it through? And he said, Terry, this is Paul. And I didn't realise it. <laughs> it actually got straight through to the man himself. So again, went down with John Simons, actually went down to, I think, a, a studio in London and um, 
wasn't the studio actually, he was making a video. Um, and we sat on the sofa for a couple of hours talking about all sorts of things. He told us the most incredible stories. And then I got him to do the recording where he said, this is Paul McCartney and, uh, you know, launching Real Radio in Yorkshire. Well, I've got to ask you the million dollar question, Terry. Had you helped launch Real Radio in the northwest of England, whose voice would you have got for that one? Well, that was, see, that was quite different because that had been Century and then it was rebranded as Real. So in a way, yes, it had a launch, but it didn't have it quite the same. It probably, for, for, for the Northwest, if, if you, you know, if you're going to get an international superstar, you know, I'd be going for your Elton Johns or, or at the time, um, maybe George Michael or some, something like that. I did actually interview George, but, 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 um, we'd already launched Real. So I think, Maybe from Manchester, somebody like Mick Hucknell, something like that. Sortum. Smooth Radio is introducing a fresh sound to daytime. Wake up with Lynn Parsons. Join me each morning from six with the latest news, weather and travel. Continue your work day with Mark Goodyear. The morning grill, smooth favourites and much more while you work. Spend your afternoon with Dave Lincoln. I'll have the coffee shop and all of your mentions and dedications through the day. And drive home with Carlos. Travel news for where you are and everything. You need to get you home safely. And we'll continue to bring you the region's news, plus the perfect soundtrack to your workday. It all starts on October the 4th. This is Smooth Radio. Well, it's during your time with GMG that you were also part of the launch team for Smooth Radio and was also the first national voice. So, what was that like for Smooth? Yeah, Smooth was was Jazz FM originally in Manchester. Um, and I had. To be honest, I was part of the team because I was group program. Sorry, I was group music director, so I was responsible for the music for stations. But they had their own team who knew that music way better than I did. Um, but what I um, recall was that the station was, you know, had lots of huge potential um, and was going to go really well. Um, so what happened was that in two thousand and nine, my role was made redundant, and I didn't have. A, I'd come off air. I'd been off air for about three years. I was only running the music. Uh, the Guardian were more involved in the output and the data, not the output, but the day-to-day management. And there needed to be some significant sort of restructuring of senior roles. So my role was redundant. So I, for the first time, found myself without a job in radio. But thankfully, that didn't last too long because I, uh, again, got a call from from John Simons who said, let's, let's have a coffee. Uh, and he, it's a question I've been asked a couple of times in the last decade or so. Uh, would you go back on air? And I remember my fun times and audience winning sort of performances on real radio. And I assumed that he wanted me to go on to real radio in the Northwest and do something there. And I said, yeah, I'd love to go back on air. Of course I would. Um, and when he said, um, but I'd like you to go on smooth and we're going to, we're going to make it a sort of national station and we'd like you to work on smooth. Um, I was disappointed at the time thinking, oh God, I don't really want to work on smooth. I'm, I'm not a smooth presenter at all. But I remembered years earlier, I used to do a late night show called Tears on Your Pillow, which was a love show. Um, and I thought, well, if I do my work on smooth, not like the cheeky, chappy, happy-go-lucky guy that was on Real, but like the guy that did a late night love show, maybe it'll be okay. Um, and so I said, Look, I'll give it a go. Anyway, long story short, I did it. And within one link, I felt fantastically, fantastically comfortable and at home. Um, and then when it did go national, it went national at midnight and I was doing midnight till six. So the reason I was the first voice when it was a national station was all the locals had sort of, so the East Midlands, the, uh, the, the Northwest, the Northeast and so on, they'd all come together. And 
and that's how I became the first voice. I had done all the cover work. I covered for Simon Bates on Breakfast. I covered for Mid Mornings, um, for Mark Goodyear. I covered the afternoon show for David Jensen. I had my own Sunday afternoon show, which eventually Pat Sharp uh, took, um, and I moved to other shows. I did the East Midlands when it was still separately broadcasting. I did the East Midlands Drive show for six months. So I had a good old innings and various formats. I did the evening show for Peebles. So yeah, I did a, I did quite a bit of stuff at Smooth and, and absolutely loved it. Well, I, I've got to ask you, dropping all these names in like Bates and Jensen. And I, I've got to ask, because we, we, we talk about Radio 1, what was it like to work with legends like Simon Bates and Kid Jensen? Well, it, it could, it could have been because rather like you saying you grew up listening to Real, I of course grew up listening to Radio 1, listening to all these legendary broadcasters. And I have to say that uh, with with very few exceptions, and don't ask me to, to go there, but you know, 99.9% of the people that I work with um, was absolutely brilliant and remained friends and still am to this day. David Jensen and a uh, kid is just the most fantastic and nice person. When he when he referenced me in his book uh, that came out last year, I was moved to tears. It was such a beautiful thing for him to do. Um, Simon Bates um, and I still text and still communicate. We we he and I broadcast together the uh, Kate and Will. A royal wedding live from Buckingham Palace together, a, a day I'll never forget. Um, you know, Pat is just fantastic. Mark Goodyear, yeah, the great people, just all really lovely people. It's, it's all right for her. Uh, the reality is it snowed round my way last night. So, good morning. Welcome to the Wellington Boots. This is a new studio that has been purpose-built by Smooth, and I'm delighted and thrilled to open it. We were thinking of having the Lord Mayor in, but you know what he's like. Well, she is the same as well. Stay in bed. Uh, let's have a look at the newspapers. Say good morning and welcome, and thank you very much indeed for joining us. And I hope you're going to like what you hear. And if you don't like what you hear, could you let us know? Simon Bates at Smooth Radio. .co.uk. That'll start the floodgates opening. Our text number is 65588. Phone number is 0844 uh, The papers this morning are full of Pete Postlethwaite, uh, the Times, the Mail, the Mirror, and the Telegraph. I never met him, but he was a stunning actor and a great contributor. And the papers are also full of Gordon Ramsay. Uh, it's interesting. I'm pretty convinced that most of the journalists who write about Gordon Ramsay this morning are women. Gordon Ramsay has had a face and a head. He looks actually like most blokes feel after a night out. Uh, front page of the Mail and the Mirror. Uh, the Met Office apparently knew the big freeze was coming last year, according to uh, the Telegraph and, to, and the Times as well. Uh, the speculation everywhere about the Joanna Yates murder case. Claire Balding is clear of her cancer, I'm delighted to say. And the good news, and there is always good news if you look for it, is on page 29 of the Times. The French are the saddest people on the planet. It's official. May we? After your time with Smooth Radio, you uh, move up to a management position with UTV. And uh, this is where, how, how I could say, the, 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 big, the, the big boys start rolling because it's all, during your tenure, winning awards, higher listeners. What, what was that tenure like? Oh, it was great. I think UTV was a fantastic opportunity. So I'd been by this time working on free uh, as a freelancer on Smooth. 
just doing the shows, no management responsibility, having fun, really enjoying myself. And then this opportunity with John Myers, who rang me and said that he'd met, um, I think he'd met Scott Taunton for lunch, who was the, and still is the CEO of, of Wireless and News UK. Um, and they basically had had a chat. They were looking for somebody for this particular role. John said, rather like Dave Lincoln all those years earlier, had said, oh, you should speak to Terry. I met with uh, the the, the uh, then MD of the radio division, a really lovely guy, uh, Callum McCauley, um, got on really well with him. Uh, Francis Curry had been a, a brilliant consultant and working in that sort of role, but on a obviously couldn't commit to it because he had so much other work. Uh, and then they they offered me the the job, and so it was it was really interesting because I I did my last show on Smooth in the early hours of the Sunday morning. And I started at um, UTV as the group program director on the Monday. Um, and it was just a great transition. And so for eight years, for nine years, actually, almost, I was the group program director, didn't do any radio shows, but led a, a wonderful team of fantastically talented broadcasters, programmers, uh, ambitious stations, uh, punching well above our weight while the world was against us in some ways. And as you said, we had these terrific audiences that grew and grew. Um, and it was, it was a fantastic time, a happy time. It was always a time we knew that would end because at some point I knew that the, I didn't know because I was told, but I knew because I'm not daft that the, the focus for wireless and particularly when News UK bought the, bought the UTV uh, business, um, that, that their focus would be on national stations, brands. And I knew that would be the case. And of course that turned out to be true. And, and, uh, and then Bauer, of course, acquired it. And that was also for, I think, the, the industry, a total change, but not a bad change. And not not a bad change because 2020 has dawned on us and we see you uh, returning back to Wales and also back hosting shows because you're fronting the regional breakfast show on Greatest Hits South Wales, formerly, of course, Swansea Sound. So what is it like to return to being a breakfast DJ? Well, again, you know, it was quite an interesting thing because I hadn't done a show for nine years. Um, Gary Steen, who is a, a, you know, really lovely person. Again, I'm so fortunate to have been surrounded by, by very, very nice people in my entire career. And, um, so Gary and I both were adults and we both knew that, that, you know, they didn't need two group program directors. <laughs> Gary was doing the gig for Bauer and quite brilliantly. So, you know, they didn't need another one. Um, and I knew that. And of course, he and I spent a lot of time in that six, seven, eight month period between the acquisition going through from the CMA and then them, uh, being sort of fully branded and, and put together as GHR and, and hits radio stations and so on. Um, so in that period of time, I'd been helpful in terms of the transition and, and, and the sort of the stuff that has to go on behind the scenes, quite a lot of detail. Um, and it was really, um, through circumstance, I was just, Gary just said to me, um, would you go back on air? And I said, well, to be honest, I hadn't really, I hadn't thought about it. Now, interestingly, my friend James Rear had also said to me about, you know, would I go back on air? So I started to think, well, maybe I could go back on air, but I hadn't done a show for nine years. And the question I was asking myself is, can I still do it? Am I still relevant? Have I moved with the times? And, and, and yeah, frankly, would I be able to succeed? Because I wouldn't want to go back on air if I thought that I would fail. Um, so Gary invited me to, to um, do some pilots and I did. And everyone thought they sounded great. And the rest is history. And I started 
Uh, originally just going to be doing the show temporarily, but then that, that, I was asked if I'd continue doing the Greatest Hits Breakfast show, um, which I am absolutely loving doing. It's, uh, it's, it's very different, um, but it's brilliantly exciting. And it's, a, it's one of those things that, you know, this industry is a, has been a cruel industry to lots of people. And some of my very best friends, some well, well more talented broadcasters than I, uh, don't have opportunities to go on air anymore. And I feel very sad about that. And it, it, it hurts me to think that that's the case. Um, so when an opportunity comes along, you have to really, really guard it preciously and you have to really appreciate it. And you have to really uh, never complain and just do, do what they, what they want you to do and do the station proud um, to the best of your ability. So whilst I have sympathy and feel for all my friends, as I said, and I'll say it again, you know, some way more talented than me um, who, who were not fortunate enough to get an opportunity. I will treasure this, you know, as every minute goes by and, uh, and until it's no longer there. Greatest Hits Radio. Good morning. Welcome into Tuesday. I'm Terry Underhill with you until 10 o'clock this morning. We've got big songs to play, including Ike and Tina Turner. Stevie Wonder Classic on the way, but we kick off the hour with Blondie and Heart of Glass is next. Greatest Hits Radio. The good times sound like this. Ask it, say in that, Terry, what advice would you give to anyone who's trying to make it into the radio industry? Um, it's d- don't be put off by the fact that there are lots of people who don't have work now that used to, because there will always be the need for new and fresh talent to come through. Um, so I would say remain positive, remain determined, be prepared to change and to adapt. Make sure that you do the show that you're able to do, but that is going to work for the audience and work for the station. Because there's no point I would last five minutes if I decided that I wanted to do the Greatest Hits Breakfast Show the way I did Real or even the way it did smooth. Well, that isn't what they want. That isn't what is, is required. So you've got to be, you've got to be, um, adaptable. You've got to be willing to do things the way that the owner of the radio station wants you to do it. And you've got to have a really positive attitude. And I think if you can tick all of those boxes and you've got that basic ability to communicate, remember, you know, the, the, the audio communication is, is, it was the first mass media. And it's it's the one way that you can literally um, become friends with people that you will never meet. Uh, and remember the intimacy of radio, even though it's a big deal now. Remember the intimacy of radio. And finally, Terry, who was your radio great? Uh, I'd go back to um, people like Norman Thomas, Dave Lincoln, a guy called Johnny Jason, who did a late night love show downtown on Radio City, who I used to listen to every single night and listen until, you know, I, I fell asleep. Um, I used to love listening to Kid Jensen. Uh, radio Luxembourg was a great radio station when it was its heyday. Not talking about when it when nobody was listening. I'm talking about when it was a big radio station. Um, and then in terms of, of national broadcasters, um, I've got to say, again, somebody I'm so proud that became a friend, Tony Blackburn, who, whatever people say about Tony, he's got the same sense of energy and personality and determination now as he had in the 60s when he launched Radio 1. So I think top of the list would absolutely have to be Tony Blackburn. Um, but there are so many other amazing radio presenters um, that I could include on that list, including some current, you know, Scott and Greg at Radio 1. And there's a lot. There are a lot. Well, Terry Underhill, thank you ever so much for joining us on this edition of Radio Greats Today. 
Thanks for the opportunity, Luke, and good luck with everything with your career as well. I hope it all goes as as well as it uh, as, as I'm sure it will. South Wales, good morning. This is Greatest Hits Radio with the New Radicals, and you get what you give. Now then, coming up after eight this morning, I'll be giving you details of today's cash register where you can win big money. And our first winner this week was Narisha Bakhtar. Uh, she was working at home when the life-changing call came in, and this is how she reacted. <laughs> you don't. Oh wow. I've gone really red. I'm really glad this is on the radio and not on TV. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's amazing. It Thank is you. amazing. It is amazing, Narisha. And it could be you. And as she was staying with her parents before moving house recently and she wants to treat them to a Dyson fan, that girl knows how to live and hopefully uh, something for herself. Uh, cash register returning this morning where I can now exclusively reveal the prize this morning is going to be over £9,000. I'll give you the full details of today's cash amount just after eight this morning here at Greatest Hits Radio. All right, it's 27 minutes past six now. Here's Michael Jackson. Here's Beat It. Remembering the great DJs of radio, it's Radio Greats with the live Luke.